everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 13. How do I do that? Brought to you by Element OP Productions. ElementOP.com. Today we're going to answer some of the most asked questions uh, for new people to Linux, particularly those coming from the Windows or the Mac side. They would say, how do I do X in Linux? And so we've compiled a list of those questions, and we're going to try to give you some answers. And uh, we'll see how that goes. But with me this week, as always, is Mr. Chris Neves. Say hello, Chris. Hello, everyone. Up there in lower Alberta or something like that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, something like that, where, where it's... Where it's 82 degrees. Yes, a balmy 82 degrees. Mr. Seth Anderson, joining me from the East Texas contingent. Say hello, Seth. Hey, everybody. And Mr. Aaron Butler, outside of Marietta, Georgia, or something like that. Hello, everyone. I'm here in Marietta. <laughs> oh, you're not going to do If you do that the whole show, I will will disconnect you, just so you know. <laughs> it's okay. I'll just eat some bacon and wait. <laughs> <laughs> the Italian bacon. Is there Italian bacon? I think it's called prosciutto. Um, it is. It's called prosciutto, and it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's Italian it's like a vacation, ham, though, isn't it? It's like a vacation. It's a vacation. <laughs> a vacation. Wow. Um, Chris, tell us and about the Roku. Rescue us. Rescue yeah, us. Yeah, I was going to say that in the show is broken already. Holy crap. It doesn't take much. Anyway, <laughs> um, I've been in paled upon the horns of a dilemma for the last couple of months. Um, I've been weighing my choices between set-top boxes between the Roku and the BoxyBox. And for those who don't know, you can Google BoxyBox or Roku and you could probably find out just as much as I have. But uh, I finally have convinced the boss, a.k.a. my wife, to go with the Roku. Why did you make that choice? We did that one mainly because I was looking at the feature set, and one of the problems with the Boxy Box is it doesn't have a native Netflix app. Now, I'm not saying we're going to ever go Netflix, but it's nice to have that ability if we ever do. Um, They both have the same basic feature sets. Um, They they handle Amazon On Demand and all the other streaming sites, Um, Pandora, uh, Last.fm, Live365, YouTube, etc., um, but I hate to honestly say it, but the selling point was the new Roku box has Angry Birds built into it. <laughs> and I see hours and hours of my son and my wife being entertained by throwing birds across the screen. There's there's so many problems with that. I don't even know where to begin. <laughs> so uh, I'm actually familiar with Boxy, but not with Roku. And I don't want to sidetrack the whole show, but... Is Roku an appliance that comes pre-installed, or is it an application that you download and stick on any box you want, or how does that work? Uh, Roku is an appliance. It's a box that's probably not much bigger than a mouse now. The the new version is the palm, the size of your palm. Um, they're very tiny. They have a little blue jeans tag on them that makes them stand out a little bit. But uh, uh, the new the new ones that they just released, they're priced the same as the old ones. Uh, the most expensive one is a hundred dollars, and that has um, there. And all three of them have high def content, so or high def connections. So as far as as comparison, I was looking at features, and the only one that the only the big downfall in my book was the fact that there was no Netflix. And if my wife ever decides to go Netflix, I want to have something that would connect to it and not have a problem. So does the Roku box have the ability to connect to like an external hard drive and, and play your own RIP DVDs as well? Yep. And they have a list of supported codecs and most of my stuff would easily play on there. So yeah, it's, I think that one day they'll, that phrase will become something in our vernacular. My wife went Netflix. I don't know what that'll actually mean yet, but it will mean something. Yeah. Well, I, for me, I'm an Amazon on demand guy. Um, I'm a big Amazon buyer and Netflix is okay. Elementopi.com slash Amazon. There you go. Gotta gotta support us. Yeah. <laughs> Make any of your purchases through that link. I haven't hawked it in a while, so I'll do it again. You go to elementopi.com slash Amazon. It'll take you to the regular Amazon webpage. You won't see anything different. You won't pay anything different, but we get uh, a small finder's fee. So just change that in your bookmarks now, and don't ever go to amazon.com. Go to elementopi.com slash Amazon. You have been commanded from hey. on high. <laughs> <laughs> 
So yeah, uh, this doesn't really have anything to do with Linux at all. Uh, I, I don't even think it's a Linux product. But a friend of mine uh, told me recently, if you are on uh, Dish Network, they're offering a deal right now where they will send you a free Slingbox. And if you're not familiar with Slingbox, Slingbox hooks up to your Dish uh, satellite dish um, and will deliver your paid satellite programming to any internet-connected device. They have an iPad app. They have an iPhone app. They have an Android app. You can do it right there on your laptop. So you can pull up your own personal DVR materials uh, from anywhere in the web or watch your local television. Like if you're an HBO subscriber and you're out traveling somewhere, you can watch HBO through your um, connection at home at no cost. And uh, he showed it to me on his uh, iPhone. It was actually a very cool, low lag, uh, uh, pretty decent quality considering it was on a small screen. Uh, but anyway, you might want to check that out. Uh, I don't know how long this deal is running. I don't know if by the time this airs, uh, it'll still be running. But uh, everybody call Net, uh, Dish Network and demand it, and uh, and then maybe something will happen. Just well, thought- we actually we actually don't have Dish Network. Um- or any kind of cable. We have an HD antenna that I mounted up outside and it works great um, for free. But we actually thought about purchasing one of those and shipping it to my father-in-law so he could hook it up to his dish (laughs) so we could watch the Dallas Cowboys whenever we wanted to. I think Slingbox will connect to anything. It doesn't have to be um, Dish Network or anything, but they're just the ones running the promotion. Yeah, Right. That's what we were going to do because uh, my wife is a huge Cowboys fan. Um, I thought she was yeah, she's Ooh. a big Cowboys fan. And you're a shrinking Cowboys fan. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm a Cowboys fan by marriage. And um, I'm from the Houston area, actually. But, um, yeah, so we almost did that because when we got here, we, it was it was like there was this moment. And she came to me, and I thought our dog had gotten hit by a car or she'd bounced a bunch of checks because she had something a serious look on her face. And she was just letting me know that this week's Cowboy game was not going to be aired on public television, local television, because the Falcons played at the same time. And what we're going to do about it? <laughs> so we got direct, we got NFL Sunday ticket is what we did, which cost you a fortune, right? <laughs> yeah, I have this arm wow. only, that stops right here. <laughs> it cost me half of an arm and part of a leg. Um, we then moved into a house that, after we moved in, we realized there was too many trees and we could not keep our Direct TV. Um, but at that point, we were a little too far too far invested in the Atlanta area, so uh, she just did without it. Actually, there's a there's a Verizon phone app. That lets you listen to the live broadcast of any NFL game and see all the stats of the game and everything. So we actually use that. Um, sometimes even when we were out and about, so she could keep up with the game because she can't even find it on the radio a lot of times here. Wow, that poor woman. I know it was tough. It's sort of like being a Denver fan here in Dallas. <laughs> it's it's a bitter pill. Okay. Or up here being a Raiders fan in a Denver network. <laughs> oh, that would be bad, wouldn't? Yes. Are there Raiders oh, fans in horrible. the world? I didn't know there were still Raiders fans in the world. Yeah, a couple. Yeah, outside of Los Angeles, I thought they had all evaporated. Uh, hey, while we're on the subject, uh, just a uh, weeks ago, by the time this airs, uh, we launched our new uh, football uh, show here on the Element OP Network. Uh, go check it out, elementop.com. It's called The Hot Route. Uh, we have three guys who are uh, uh, both passionate about football and entirely goofy, and it makes for some interesting things. And uh, as of this recording date, the uh, uh, second episode will air tomorrow i just finished it, editing it today uh i think it's gonna be, uh, gonna be a good show even if you're just casually into football they're entertaining enough to to keep your in, uh, keep you in but for the hardcore core football fans like uh aaron's wife uh it will really there it's stats heavy and it'll be really good if you're running a foot uh, fantasy league or anything like that and you want some stats uh they'll be uh they'll be good for that so anyway well, just a, a little plug there I knew when the first episode started off with a, a discussion in the warm-up about a Tim Tebow action figure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That it was going to be good. Yeah, the, we, he opens the show saying, I really ran into a very serious moral dilemma at Toys R Us. And, you know, when, <laughs> anytime a show starts like that, you know, it's going to be interesting. Yeah. Hey, who can tell me if Chrome is really better than Firefox? 
Well, it was an article. I don't think it is. Um, and an article I read seems to support it. There's actually two of them I found. One, it was talking about when you get up into opening like this. I don't know why he did it, but he opened 150 of the most popular websites in one browser instance. And it sounds just like it- a quadrant standard, Mark. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, Sean, my co-host on the Tightwad Tech, does that frequently. I mean, it's not uncommon for him to have 100 plus tabs open at once. So there are people who do it i normally only get to about 12 then i open up another page and i might have four or five pages but uh, and he he just did the time it takes um in real time it takes uh, firefox a little over six minutes and in chrome it took over 28 minutes uh and for a user three minutes and in chrome a user was 21 minutes so it was just talking about how firefox is able to do it because it uh, uses a different memory for each one, and whereas Chrome will start to overlap them once you get past 70 tabs. So that's the demarcation line. <laughs> I'll make a mental note to myself. I'm going to open that 71st tab. I'll pop up in Firefox. Uh, <laughs> I will say that I've used Firefox and Chrome extensively, both, and I actually much prefer Chrome um, for my day-to-day usage. It, it seems snappier. Again, that's real-world testing like Mark was talking about in our last episode. And um, for me... It, the reason I, I'm, I'm sure the reason it gets slow the more you do is because the way it actually does encapsulate the processes that each tab is running, you know, because you can go up in Chrome and right click in the, the top bar and show task manager. And it's not your Windows or Linux task manager. It's the Chrome task manager that will show you what each tab of Chrome is running and you can kill errant tabs that are hung and things like that. Um, and it really goes down to a, a granular level that takes overhead to do that. So, yeah, if you're going to open 70-plus tabs, use Firefox. Otherwise, stick with Chrome. That's my two cents. Uh, personally, I Firefox is still my primary because that's where all my plugins are. Uh, but I do use Chrome when dealing with the Google stuff, Google Apps, Google Docs, Gmail. It tends to be uh, they have some secret sauce built in there uh-huh. uh, that makes it run better on that. But uh, So I tend, tend to have both of them. Well, right now, I have uh, both those browsers open, and most of the time, I do have both open. But Firefox is my primary uh, browser of choice for just web browsing. Well, I have, yeah. I have a great use for Firefox. My wife's accounts are all set up in Firefox. So we use, we share a laptop. I go in Chrome. She goes in Firefox. It logs her into Facebook, takes her in her Gmail, takes her in her stuff. I, all my stuff's in Chrome. And I so use what you use for updates. <laughs> I use what I use if, if I go to a page and it won't open in Chrome or Firefox. The browser that <laughs> you use, idiot. To, the browser that you use to download other browsers. Yeah, really. Um, we actually yeah. just had a corporate-wide thing, and they, they pulled – Firefox and Chrome across our entire enterprise because of security issues, blah, blah, blah. It's not officially supported, supported, blah, blah, blah. And then they immediately republished an app that we have to use. That's a web-based app in a Firefox Citrix (laughs) published (laughs) app because it runs so horribly in IE the same day. (laughs) Awesome. And also in the poem. All right, Chris, you go ahead. Okay, I was going to say, I'm a Firefox user. Um, I dabbled with Chrome for a while, but um, I noticed that it was hit and miss for browsers or for support in my Linux distributions. Some were, some it worked great in, some of it didn't work at all. Uh, and then the same thing with plugins for, for Chrome. Like the LastPass uh, plugin for Chrome doesn't work in Fedora. The, yeah, it's I'm, a... I'm- there's an SE Linux issue with it. So you have to turn off SE Linux in order to get LastPass to work. Uh, my day-to-day browser is Firefox. The uh, browsers I go to after that would be Aurora or Reconk. And both of those are based on the WebKit uh, browsers. Which uh, Chrome is as well. Yep. All right, Seth, you were going to say something? Well, I was going to say that also Chrome finally got somebody finally took the challenge to hack in the bone challenge. So, uh, you know, in the past, they've never tried Chrome, and this year somebody did. So, you know, that one myth of uh, unexploitable, perfect security, you know, I'm sure people will still use it, but, you know, it's kind of, it can be hacked too. So, and that's just proof. And that's the other link I put in the show notes. Okay. And what's this other one? Open Source Community 2.0? Chris, is that you? No, that was another one oh, I put in there. So yeah, you're not just, using your colors, people. No, mine's in blue. Oh, you're right. It is. My mistake. 
<laughs> so yeah, it was talking about uh, somebody went to, uh, and I don't remember the convention we talked about in the article, but how um, because of open source gaining um, acceptance in the enterprise, that actually some of the open source community seems to feel slighted and left out because projects uh, they focus on the commercial project and just are very late if they release the uh, community editions at all. So it's in one of those it's kind of bad because you know they're not catering to the community but it's good in that there's more businesses turning to open source and it has an accepted place in the enterprise environment now. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons that uh, this show one of the reasons it came about is uh, Linux is burgeoning in the uh in the enterprise, and we thought that there would be a lot of, uh, you know, like the, you know, two of you guys here, Seth and, and, and Aaron, uh, um, professional Windows enterprise guys who are just now dabbling in Linux because it's getting more uh, capable and more accepted at the same time. So, yeah, that is definitely happening, um, but yeah, I will agree that sometimes the community gets left out because they, they focus only on the, the things that can make the money, darn capitalists. Well, yeah, and he was talking about, he made a point that's like, you know, the old open source developers are now like kind of CEOs of companies and stuff, and OSCON uh, was the convention he was at. And so it was, uh, he's like, it was interesting to see some of the old guard of open source software, now CEOs, executive directors, VPs, and CTOs, in many cases, rubbing elbows with much younger sets of up-and-coming developers. Uh and he was talking about how this year's OSCON had a more business-like commercial feel than a uh, community event. Uh, not that it was totally that way, but it was just more like, you know, this was kind of maybe open sources coming out in the enterprise party thing. All right. Anything else before we move on to the topic at hand? Okay. Um, I'm going to skip gu uh, around, guys, in the notes, because uh, uh, one of the things, the questions that we have there, and these are just questions that have been asked uh, by our resident noob and some other things that we've added on there. And, uh, again, we always encourage you, if you have other questions, to uh, uh, jump in there and let us know. But one of the questions uh, that we asked there is, what are, our, what are my browser options? And so uh, just rapid fire, uh, uh, Firefox and Chrome, the two that we've just mentioned uh, before, Conqueror, which is the default browser for KDE, Seamonkey, uh, which is based on the same Gecko engine that Firefox is based on, Reconk, which, as Chris has mentioned, is based on WebKit, which is the same thing that Safari and um, uh, Chrome are based on, and at least a dozen others. There, there are browsers galore. I would say that there is more browser com competition um, in the Linux uh, in environment than anywhere else. <clears throat> there are browsers that are specific to do, you know, uh, just about anything you'd want to do. So, uh, any other comment there on the browser issue? And if you really want Internet Explorer, you can do it in Wine. You can. Um, not sure you'd want to, uh, but you can. Yeah, there's a <laughs> there's a tool I have used before called IES 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 for the number four Linux, uh, and it's some guy really spent a lot of time and effort creating this script that, with one click of the button, installs I think Internet Explorer six um, on your browser uh, on your Linux, and and it works. Um, but that's I, in my experience, if you have to have Windows, do what we talked about last week and virtualize a machine and then run that as one of your apps there. I mean, if you have to have Internet Explorer, uh, because it, even though it will work in Linux, it doesn't work well. Yeah, the best way I've found to get Internet Explorer to work is to run it in Windows. Yeah, and the best way I've found to get Internet Explorer to work in Windows is to install Chrome. But right. uh, that's just my experience. I would imagine you probably run into the, some of the same things like the uh, the IE emulator tab for Firefox, where actually sometimes I mean sometimes it'll it'll work ninety percent of the time, and then you will hit that website that it really doesn't work on, right. even though you're, it should work in IE, and then you go to real IE and it works. Interestingly, that's, that that's not an emulator. It actually uses the IE engine just wrapped around Firefox. Um, I like that. It still doesn't work. 
<laughs> right. I like that a lot. I use it actually because I get all my Chrome, my, my Firefox, uh, uh, Chrome, the window dressing. Uh, plus I get my bookmarks from Firefox and I get my last pass from Firefox, all that right built right in, but I can still run uh, a machine that's coded or excuse me, a web page that's coded for IE. But there are times when, yeah, it just flat doesn't work and you've got to load IE entirely. Generally on things dealing with government. Uh, almost always, when I've run into it, it's been something for the state or the federal government. So that's odd because I know, like, with at my day job, when I deal with the state government um, OPI site, if I use it in when I had a, a virtual box for for Windows, um, in Internet Explorer, it just flat doesn't work. In Firefox or Chrome, is the only way it works. Yeah, well, that's changing. Definitely, uh, some of the the new student management system being in education uh, that we uh, installed. In fact, there's only uh, the state of Texas has said that they will pay for student management systems going forward because you know we have such a huge budget surplus here in Texas, and so they're going to use that money uh, to pay for schools uh, to have. That was that was a joke. Uh, right? Yeah, I guess. Uh, if you're not into the education, you might not know that. But that was a huge lie. Uh, but anyway, uh, they're they're they've said they're going to pay for two of them, uh, and one of the two is the one that uh, they pick the two that most people are already using. But one of the two is web based, and they recommend Firefox. Uh, almost exclusively, except for some of the report pages where they say, for this page, you need to open up IE and run this page. So that's even within the same app. Uh, you can't run one browser homogeneously. Wow. wow. This is the same organization, though, that only support two printers because those are the printers they have in their office, and they know it works on those. And if you have a problem <laughs> and call them, they will say, just buy one of these two models of printers. We know it works on those. <laughs> wow. That's <laughs> great. Your view. <laughs> yeah, terrible, terrible. Um, yeah, that's just the way it is when you're dealing with governments, almost always. So, uh, Chris, how do we find an IP address um, in Linux? Well, in KDE, there's a little icon down by your system tray that's called the network interface. And it, what it does is it shows you all sorts of little information about your network. And now if people were watching the video, they could actually see me demoing this through the webcam. But it actually has a listing of the different network interfaces that are available. And like, I currently have my Wi-Fi card disabled, so it says it's unavailable. But if I click on the network interface, it shows me not only a bar graph with traffic, but it also shows me my MAC ID, my connection speed, and the IP address for the system I'm currently using. That's KDE 3.5? Uh, yeah, well, 3.7 is the most current. Okay. But it's that, it's been this way for, I think, pretty much every KDE since, uh, well, 4, you mean, Mark, not 3.5. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, 4. Yeah, any, any versions of 4, that's the monitor you get for monitoring your network connection. Um, it's probably the cleanest and nicest monitor I've ever seen. Uh, that's within one click of getting to. There is the, under the process manager, there's a network interface in there too, but it doesn't give you the IP address. Now, a lot of these questions are going to have multiple answers. Uh, as we've talked about here on the show, there's GNOME and there's KDE, uh, both of which uh, are the two big ones, but then then there's, uh, even outside of GNOME, there's GNOME 2, GNOME 3, Unity. Uh, so we're going to have to give a couple of different answers to each thing, but I think we're, for the most part, we're going to stick with KDE and the current version of Unity, which is uh, GNOME 2, uh, uh, Ubuntu. So th since those are the kind of things that you're most likely to run into out in the wild. So uh, answering that question on Ubuntu, you go to um, the menu button, then you go to uh, administration, and then you go to network tools. And I will drag that over there to the stream for those who are watching and you get the standard uh, gnome that you're probably used to seeing interface that shows you your IP uh, interface and you you can uh, ping from there you can trace route from there that's kind of new that they've put the tools and and the other things there together so uh, you can go here and and uh, double click uh, your your interface so here's my ethernet inter interface and there's my ip addresses and, and i can do whatever i need to there uh being that this is a vm i only have an ipv6 address which is a new thing that we're we're probably gonna have to do a show at some point on ipv6 because it's a a new animal 
Uh, but then there's always the command line, which I'll turn over to our command line godfather. This works on any version of Linux. Yeah, it's a simple command. It's ifconfig. If you're a Windows I, user, sure, you're used to ipconfig. Yep. And under ifconfig, you can see... Here, I'll open up a terminal window here so I can tell you exactly what it shows. Um, under ifconfig, if you type it in, it shows you all of the interfaces that you currently have active. So um, if you only have a Wi-Fi or a, a hard line, it's going to say ETH0 uh, for Ethernet 0 because Linux counts from 0 to 1. Um, but Ethernet 0, okay, and I'll tell you higher. your broadcast address, your mask, your masking address, um, and all more information than you most of the time will need. Um, and the other nice thing about IF can, the IF config is you can actually turn off an a access or a, a card, Wi-Fi, Ethernet card, um, with the, that interface with that tool as well. It'd be IF config F zero down would turn off the card, and then IF config F zero up would turn on the card. And that's so. There is no way to do a release renew other than disable and re-able the card, right? Yep. Yep, then that, it, it goes so fast you wouldn't even know. I mean, you could even set up a an alias to do it in one with one command. Um, the it's faster than I think the the release in renewing Windows is slower than the disable and re-enable in Linux. And by alias, I'm assuming you're meaning uh, a batch. What file. the word alias means, which is like yeah, a batch or uh, uh, a command file that you build yourself to. Yep throw a series of commands in the Linux command line. Yep. Like I have one set up. So uh, for doing an update uh, in mint KDE, I have a, a an alias for um, app get update and app get upgrade. So it does both of them with one command. So then now it's less typing for me. <laughs> so, <laughs> because Linux system ins are lazy. Yes. Is, is it, um, since, Speaking of, of a few command lines that people use a lot in uh, Windows and just kind of an average Joe testing thing, is ping still a pertinent command line? Yes. Yes. One of the differences being that the ping command assumes the dash T. Like in Windows, you do ping dash T to never stop. Right. In Linux, it never stops anyway. So if you do a ping dash T, it'll say, what you talking about, Willis? And uh, it won't That's do interesting. And I guess you should know if you're going to use ping inside your Linux machine, you need to use Control-C to stop the ping. Right. Yeah, that break command is still the same across all terminals as far as I know. Okay. All right, and then the next question that we have on the list is how do you add a printer? And that's a question that I don't have an answer to because it's different in everything. Um in uh, Ubuntu, I'm running the Ubuntu 11.10, uh, which is neat because it's not October yet, 11.04. Uh, <laughs> and uh, you go to, uh, I believe it's uh, yeah, the menu button. And then, see, here's the thing with GNOME in general, is that the way it splits things out. You've got your system tools, you've got your administration, and then you've got your control panel. And so it can be in any of those, and sometimes they overlap between them. But in this case, it's menu, administration, and then you go down to printing, and it displays all the information about printers, and you can add a printer. So that's how you do it in GNOME. Chris, how do we do it in KDE? KDE is pretty, it's pretty much the same all the way across. The only exception would be is in SUSE, um, in SUSE Linux. But uh, in pretty much every version of KDE, you'll open up your system settings which is like a control panel for Windows. And then there's a button in there for con printer configurations. Once you have that open, that has where you can configure your local printers, Your if you have network printers, um, that's where all that is. So in, in Windows, you know, one of the things you can do is if you know the name of the you know the name of the printer and it's on a shared on another computer instead of a local printer, you can just go to the command line and type, backslash backslash phcmp12 backslash yps1 enter and it'll throw up the window and automatically add that printer can you do something similar to that in linux uh, you can in ubuntu yes okay uh you can in yeah it, it's similar in, in the kde environment but then you have to worry about your authentication 
which would be the same in GNOME. You have to be able to authenticate if it's a domain-based printer. Um, that just won't work for me because I choose not to worry about those kind of things. <laughs> so I'm, I'm in trouble. Well, you have to authenticate to anything, but if you're on a Windows machine connecting to a Windows machine, Windows does a lot of that in the background. Yeah. Um, Linux doesn't. Even if it's Linux to Linux, you still have to uh, expressly identify yourself. Which makes it natively more secure. <laughs> and the next one on the list was how do I change my screen resolution? And again, uh, Seth, at, at any point, if you want to jump in there, you know, go right Seth, ahead. wake up. I see you daydreaming yourself, over there. But uh, uh, again, it, uh, on Ubuntu, uh, you go to um, menu and administration, and then. Um, no, it's not in. See, they uh -huh, move it around. See? They move it around from time to time. <laughs> well, uh, that's the thing. One of the things they tried to do with Windows Seven, you know, was try to make those things that people used to have to drill in three or four times less drill inable, less drill in requirable, take less drilling, and so they something added like that. The, yeah, okay. you know. So now it's menu control center. Then you click the hardware tab and the monitors button. Same interface, but they've moved it to a different place. Right. So there you go. There, so there's no right-click on the desktop and get right to it? Um, right-click on the desktop, change desktop background, but that's all you can do. Okay. I'm about from the KDE okay. side, Chris. In, in KDE, um, you can't right-click the desktop because that gives you the plasma stuff. Um, in order to get to the monitor settings, you have to go into the system settings again. And then there's a, a down in the subgroup called hardware it's a display and monitor, and that's also where you'd go if you wanted to set up multiple monitors. Um, they have size, screensaver, and multi-monitor in the same um, applet. Well, one thing that if you're a Windows user, segueing, that you have to do, I, I thought I'd do a little bit of Mark's job for him so he doesn't have to always do it. Um, it. One thing if you're a Windows user you are very used to doing is killing a runaway or hung app. Um, if you've ever used Windows for more than three or four minutes, you've had that happen to you. So how do you do that in, in Lindos, uh, Linux? Uh, if you've got an app that's hung or run away or whatever, what do you do? Well, again, on, on the GNOME side, uh, there is the uh, system uh, monitor, which is very much like Task Manager. Uh, so you go to, uh, again, Menu, Administration, System Monitor, and that will give you uh, similar tabs that you're used to seeing. It'll show you what's running on the system. Uh, it'll tell you information about the system, just like the in Windows processes running, uh, the resources, how much memory, how much processor, uh, how much space is left on the drive, uh, that sort of thing. And in the same way, you can pick something, you can right-click on it, you can kill the process in the process, uh, see what files are opened by that process. So it's the system monitor in uh, in GNOME, and I use it often. But uh, I don't use it as often to kill runaway, runaway tasks, because that rarely happens in my experience in Linux. It does, uh, the operating system itself does a better job of, about keeping that from happening. Which yeah. I guess is why you don't really need advanced task killer for Android like everybody says you do. <laughs> I have never run a task killer on my Android phone. I've had yeah. it for almost two years now. Yeah, I ran one for about two days and it was this is ridiculous it, 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 it takes care of it it does it on its own yeah. well you know along the same line um what about services themselves you know and start and stopping maybe the print spooler if there is such a thing in linux or or just having a, a service that you need to kill whatever it might be well um, let's let it chris talk about kde and the system monitor first okay okay um actually the task manager is a similar place in kde it's under the if you if you need the application you go to the start menu, then then application system, and then there's the system monitor right there. Uh, there's another way to do that. The in KDE um, last week I talked about the Alt F2, which brings up the run command, and then there's also a process monitor launcher right there on that pop-up that KDE gives you. And here on the display, see if I can show that. And I click oops, wrong way. That button right here. That gives me the process monitor, which is just like Windows. You know, I could kill I could kill Skype or Google or Firefox or any of those other things. Um, but I find that that always takes too long. If I'm trying to kill a task, um, I want to kill it now. And there's a command line shortcut for that. And if you go or a keyboard shortcut, Control Alt Escape. And here I'll do the key here. Control Alt Escape. 
And I don't know if you can see the little skull and crossbones, um, but it's a skull and crossbones to kill active tasks. And then that active task will die right there. Hmm. Huh. Interesting. That's cool. I think that that shortcut should work in Gnome too, Mark. Uh, I don't remember. Control Alt F two. Control Alt Escape. Control for the kill escape. for the kill thing. The mouse should turn to a crossbones. It's not working in my VM. Okay, I'll try it at work tomorrow and see if I'm right. Um, but I, I believe it's the same keystroke. But having that Control Alt Escape and have that skull and crossbones where I can kill any task that's active, it's nice. Okay. Now, Aaron, you were asking about services. Um, only certain Linux distros even have a concept of services. Um, but uh, there, it is there. Um, and there's a couple, there's two different things there. There's startup apps and there's services. They're not exactly the same thing. Um, so in um, Ubuntu, you can control both of those things differently. Uh, you can uh, go into uh, preferences and uh, in the menu, and then there's applications. Uh, you can control what starts up automatically. I'm looking for what that's called. Um, startup applications. There we go. And then, <laughs> and then there is one for services, but I can't find it in the new Unity interface. Uh, I know it's in there somewhere. It's probably in the control center. Um, I was looking for it recently and couldn't find where it was, but I know it's there somewhere. But at the command line, you can type service and then either start and stop and then the name of the service, which is how I typically right. do it. Right. Yeah, so that's how I do the Windows command line. line. Yeah. So is there a GUI interface in, uh, in KDE, Chris? I'm looking for it. I'm not finding it. I know there's one here. I just don't remember what it's called. Now, let me throw in here while we're, while we're talking about this. The way I do almost all of this sort of stuff is uh, with webmen. Um, what, uh, did I steal your thunder, Chris? What, what you? No, I'm not a big fan of Webmin. I love Webmin. I install Webmin on everything. Webmin is a uh, a web page, web based interface for all the guts inside your system. Uh, I would never run a server without Webmin, but I even put Webmin on my desktop because it surfaces all these controls that that may not uh, be uh, easy to find at that. Uh, um, at the outset, for for example, the, the things that run at system time, things that uh, uh, are running on a schedule, which we'll talk about in a little bit. So, uh, webmin, webmin.com, it's a free thing. It's available for almost any Linux distribution, and then it gives you a special URL. It's your address colon 10,000, usually. Uh, so, it'd be like 127.0.0.1 slash 10,000, or colon 10,000. Uh, and it's going to pull up an interface that, that lets you uh, do these sort of things, including SQL database management. Uh, uh, real natively, you don't need anything else that does that. You can create uh, or uh, change SQL databases. That's very important if you're on a server. Uh, so anyway, I would uh, recommend that you use Webmin um, for a consistent way because, we, as we've said, there's there's all these uh, different ways of doing it, even within distros across versions. Um, for example, in uh, Ubuntu 10.10, .10, which is still running the GNOME interface, everything's different than Ubuntu 11.04, which is running Unity. However, in Webmin, they look exactly the same. The problem I have with Webmin, though, is if you're bouncing between different um, places, that if you're trying to do a network share, if you do the network share any other place than Webmin, it seems I always end up having the config file break, and I have to go in and manually repair it. That's why I don't like Webmin. Anytime I've ever done... Because I do a lot of my config file editing myself. So if I ever open up Webmin, it always would break my what I did to the file. So and I just I, I used it for a while. And then after I started manually doing the config file editing, I quit using it because every time I would touch it, it would break. It would break whatever I already pre I already set. So I quit doing it. But I did find the button in KDE for uh, services. Um, in, in the control, in the system settings, there's a button that says start up and shut down. And that's where you would go with your services. If you wanted to start or stop a service, that's also where you go. If you wanted to start a program at startup, when you log in. So really the answer to all of these is poke around until you find it. 
Yeah, it sounds like it. Well, and a lot of them, especially in KDE, you know, being in general, the KDE interface, um, everything's going to be sitting in the system settings. You just might have to click something that you're not expecting to click to get to the thing. But the nice thing is if you mouse over it, it tells you what's in those sub-menus. So, like, if you mouse over network settings, it tells you that it controls um, underneath network settings. It contains four items that have, like, network connections, proxy, connection preferences, and services discovery. So, if you're looking for those, you know you need to click on that. You don't even have to click in them to know what's in there. Okay. And then the next thing uh, on the on the list there is how to schedule a task. Windows has really good native task scheduling built in. Um, Linux has really good native task scheduling built in, but the the GUI sucks in that there isn't one. Uh, um, I, I don't know if some of the modern Linux distributions have have started making that a little more doable. Um, let me just in my Ubuntu thing here. I'm going to type schedule task. And see what comes up, and nothing. <laughs> uh, so uh, if if it's there, I don't know where it is. Uh, but uh, it again, I'm going to fall back on uh, Webman, which is how I always choose to do it uh, on a Linux machine because it's really easy. Um, now you can do it in the command line, of course, but I'm not the command line godfather, so I'll uh, defer to him uh, on <laughs> Cron. Um, Cron's nice; uh, it works really well. Um, but I, that's got so many different switches and so many different things. I actually um, don't use cron unless I absolutely have to. A lot of times I'll find a task scheduler or use webmin like I, I said I tried not to. Um, but I do know it's there. But in KDE, now this is one of those nice things that you were complaining about there, Mark. There's no GUI interface. In KDE, there is. Um, you'd open up the system settings, and then there's a button that says Task Scheduler, which then opens up a menu option for Cron. You can either say it's a, it's a personal job or a system job, and then add the task and fill it out however you would normally fill out a, a, a Cron job. That's handy. Oh, it's... I don't... Like I said, I try not to use Cron unless I need it. Um a couple of my backup routines, uh, they do their own scheduling. So I think they tap into cron to do their jobs, but they're not, you're not actually manually entering the information into cron. Um, but I think now that I see this one, I might have to play with this a little bit more because I see a whole lot of system abilities all of a sudden just pop up and kind of say hello. <laughs> Especially since they say, run at system boot. So I got a job. I, I think I, I can think of a couple jobs at work that need this. Yeah. So that's, uh, your services really sort of there. Um, uh, the next thing on the list is how to install and uninstall an application. Uh, that is where pretty much all the Linux distributions rock. Um, and, uh, for, uh, the gnome based things, you have yum, uh, for, for Red Hat, you've got, uh, uh, yum, or, uh, for Linux, you've got apt, uh, which is advanced package something or other. Uh, anyway, there's synaptic, uh, for also there. So there's, there are lots of different things, but, but generally there's going to be a GUI where you click something called software manager or something like it in, in Ubuntu, you click menu, you click software manager. It lists everything that's currently on your machine right now. And then you can search everything that's in the repositories that could be on your machine. So you simply type whatever it is you're looking for. If you're looking for something to play DVDs, you type DVD and hit search, and it'll put put up everything in there that'll play a DVD or rip a DVD or author a DVD. You check the one you want, and it's installed. And then you go back later, um, and it's in the going to be now instead of the available packages in the installed packages, you click it, and then it goes away. So installing and uninstalling is very easy. Yeah, it's just like the uh, App Store for Apple, um, except it kind of predates the App Store. No, no, Apple invented the App Store. Clearly, <laughs> you're mistaken. Yes, I know. Steve's going to get me later for saying that. But <laughs> And KDE, what world, Chris? What do you have an answer to that? Uh, it's pretty much the same. Uh, the tools are pretty much the tools regardless. Uh, the only exception to that would be um, in... OpenSUSE, which has Yast, which does 
everything that you were just talking about and software management all bundled into one monster tool. Yeah, you get in Linux lots of things that begin with YA, Yast, yet another system tool. Um, yeah. There's uh, Yask, yet another Sokoban clone. There's there's lots of things like that. There's, uh, there's a lot of something's not something. So there's sort of a meme that goes along in the developer community. Um, the next question is, how do you run Netflix? And the answer to that is, use a VM. <laughs> yeah, um, well, you don't want to forget that. Not though, yet. Uh, um, well, I'll, I'll go on to this since I found this link. Um, there was a, a an article, uh, let's see, May, so not too long ago, and there is a Chrome extension to do Netflix in the Chromium browser, in the Chromium OS project. So it may not be 100% getting there, or it's not 100% there, but we're getting closer. Um, as of July 30th, they're testing, further testing the Chrome OS plugin at a version 1.02, or 102, excuse me. So it's getting close. So soon we will have native Netflix. So they say. Aaron, so what were you they saying? Say. I was saying we don't want to forget YALA, Y-A-L-A, yet another Linux acronym. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. Sorry. Thank you. Had to throw that in there. Well, uh, and I think that's everything that was on our list. Do we yeah. have any questions from the popcorn gallery? Well, I want to throw in um, that I, I'm, I'm the one that kind of initiated this topic and, and made up the original kind of list that we worked off of. And um, a lot of the answers to the questions I already knew because of having played around with Linux now. And so I'm jumping ahead, end user tip, noob discovery. And I'm just telling to the listeners out there from the noob perspective if you want to learn some more about Linux, where you need to go is elementop.com and click on the little icon that says Everyday Linux and sign up for it and subscribe if you haven't already because you can learn all kinds of exciting things about Linux weekly on this podcast. And so I've gone from being a noob, now I'm a first-class noob. No, that didn't work. <laughs> it doesn't work like for, like private first-class. Noob first-class sounds like I'm a worse noob than before. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a noob second-class, and that's even worse. Now I'm not subpar noob. Help me out. I need an analogy. Um, I'm, I'm not quite as noob as I was. Now you're a novice. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There you go. I moved from noob to novice. So uh, I'm just going to – I just kind of want to throw that in as the end of the, the list. Um and if anybody is out there and you are a noob or novice or first-class noob or any rank noob, any number of chevrons on your arm, uh, I would encourage you to email Element OP and uh, Mark will tell you all the contact information in a minute. And Chris or Mark or Seth, I bet you will know the answer to the question or can direct you to somebody that knows, does know the answer. And if it's not related to Linux, I might know the answer. So feel free to <laughs> shoot all your questions. You know, and as we've often said on the show, um, one of the greatest attributes of the open source community is the community itself, the people. And and sometimes one of the greatest detractors is the people. So um, finding a good forum of, of knowledgeable and yet friendly people is not always an easy thing to do. And I would humbly submit that our forum is a good place to do that. And Chris is, is feverishly adding to the documents right now, how do you do email in Linux? And honestly, that's one that never even crossed my mind because I've been a webmail user for so long now. It's it's, it's browser uh, platform independent. But Chris, talk to us about uh, uh, email clients in Linux. Well, some of the big dogs would be uh, Thunderbird uh, from the Mozilla people, which is uh, multi-OS. You can run it on pretty much anything. Um, go look at that. Um, I don't remember the URL, but Thunderbird is a, uh, if you're looking for a straight up email client only, uh, it would take the place of like Outlook Express or Windows Live Mail. Uh, it's Mozilla.org slash Thunderbird, by the way. There you go. Thank you. And it's what um, I used until I moved to Gmail. Um, it is it was originally built as an Outlook clone, so it's very Outlook-ish in the way it looks issues um it works really well it's also a news group reader which is sort of a technology of a bygone age uh but uh, uh it's really good for what it is and you can add the sunbird plugin to it to give you calendaring a la outlook as well but actually it's not sunbird anymore it's called lightning okay they changed the name yeah they changed the name just like everything else over at mozilla they always change the name on things uh which also has a gmail plugin or a Google Calendar plugin to handle Google calendars. Right. The the next one on the list would be for the KDE people, uh, 
if you don't want to run Thunderbird, you'd run something like Contact or Kmail, which is the, of course, K as in KDE, um, is the native app for mailing from them. Uh, it handles pretty much every system of email, uh, POP, IMAP, etc. It doesn't do um, Exchange too well yet. They're working on that. Um, but a good uh, person, uh, PIM, Personal Information, Information. Manager, it's a and it works really well. The one I'm actually using though is called Evolution. Um, it's a GNOME-based application, and the reason I like it more than Kmail is because it has native or not native, but built better built-in support for Google. So, like my Google Contact Book and my Google Calendars all fit in there quite nicely. It also uh, plays to, nicely with um, um, Exchange if that's a big deal to you. Yep. If your enterprise uses Exchange. Yeah. The, the uh, there's two different exchange though that you have to pay or two different packages you have to install for exchange support. Um, if you need the older versions of exchange, you want, I don't remember what it is off the top of my head. I think it just says evolution hyphen exchange. And that does all the older versions of exchange below 2007. So exchange 03 and lower. Uh, if you want exchange 07, you need to use the mappy hyphen evolution evolution hyphen mappy hyphen exchange or something like that <laughs> you're making uh, that up <laughs> yeah sure i am i i it's so extraneously crazy i don't think i can make up that one but that yeah, one works long url <laughs> <laughs> but uh that one works really well i've been using that now for the last nine months for the 2007 exchange so you know, that's another option. And the other thing I like about Evolution over the other ones is if you want to sign your email with PGP, it doesn't do the crypto text. It adds a, uh, a, a what is it, an ASC cert on top of it or something like that. So if you're one of those that like to sign their emails, you don't get the crypt text all over it. You just get the uh, ASC thing. <laughs> what are you doing, Aaron? Finger exercises. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. If you, if you could only see what I was seeing in the video right now, it's, it's like he's bringing an aircraft in for a landing or something. Uh, so anything else on the uh, how do I do that um, in Linux um, show? I think that's a pretty good list of the things people do every day. Thank and, you. And a lot of things people don't do every day, like... Changing IP addresses and renewing, you know, that's pretty geek-specific stuff. Your average home user is never going to do that. Oh, well, maybe one thing we should ask is how uh, how do I connect to Wi-Fi, which is something a home user would do. And and I think the answer to that is going to be in any modern system, there's going to be a button up at the top that says Wi-Fi detected, and you click connect. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's really that easy. Yeah. Um, okay, so I guess... It's becoming less an issue. It's becoming less of an issue, yes. Yes. Um, all right, so now I guess we'll move on to our tips of the week. And so uh, I'll refer once again to our godfather of the command line, Mr. Chris Neves, for our command line of the week. Today's command line tip of the week is top. Um, this is similar to our system monitor from, abo from above, but top is a command line that does the exact same thing. It lists out all the uh, the processes and the how, how heavy they're being used and that type of thing. Um, it's nice, especially if you're looking for a process that maybe went crazy in the background, and you can quickly find that under top. And then with my tip next week, you'll know how to kill it from the command line. Oh, a serial tip. A cliffhanger tip. That's the big market uh, tease. That's what that is. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Come back next week for the tip to kill your tasks next week. And Seth, what is our end user tip of the week? Well, this week I wanted, since we were doing uh, how to do that in Linux, I wanted to talk about photo editing. And uh, one of the best options that I found was a web-based photo editing um, Pixlr which is uh, one I came across of. And of course, anyone in a web browser will work in Linux, but um, I know other Element OP shows have talked about other um, suites out there, so I figured I would mention 
Pixlr. Um, you can check it out on whatever OS you're using now just to get a look and feel of it. And then if you want to go into, well, I want to be able to edit it on my machine, there's an article from this website, honline.com, that goes through several different options on you. They have like one purchase that are like um, Adobe Photoshop quality all the way down to free ones that work pretty well. So, and of course, they didn't talk about it, but um, you can always use GIMP to do some photo editing as well. Uh, actually, this Pixlr looks very GIMP-ish. Uh, I'm looking uh, looking at it now. It looks like it may use some of the GIMP tools. And Chris, I noticed that Boxy does do Linux on their Boxy box now. So, oh, it does. Okay, it, it does do Netflix. Or yes, when I was look, when I was looking, it didn't. So. Oh, see, now he's got to go back and do that whole decision tree all over again. Yeah. Just I, gonna, I, thought, I didn't want to argue about it earlier, but I knew there was, there was something netflix in my boxy, but I hadn't used it because I disabled my Netflix account when they double-charged me or started charging me twice as much, I suspect. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Seth. <laughs> uh, well, I will tell you this. Uh, having been a boxy user for uh, about a year and a half now, uh, Netflix in it doesn't work very well. So if that makes you feel better. It's there, but it's a very limited interface. Um, oddly, um, uh, things don't show up that would show up like on the web. When you click a certain category, you may only get six or seven shows instead of the long list of them. It relies heavily on search. You have to know what you want to watch before you can watch it. Hmm. I will say this also, that my box is installed on a PC. So if I want to watch Netflix, I can just open a browser and just right. go to the Netflix website and pull it up and watch it anytime I want. It's a not Linux-based PC, though. It's Going through that list of tools there, Seth, that you are, you listed there, the number three, the uh-huh. Digicam, that thing is incredibly powerful. Um, that's my tool of choice right now. Um, unless I want to do some you know pixel editing, then it's GIMP, but Digicam is, is awesome. Yeah, and on the last page of the article, they mentioned uh, something called Rapid Photo Downloader has an easy way to get the photos off your memory card. So, because apparently in Digicam, it's not that easy to do. So that's been taken over by Max Headroom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll have to do something about your bandwidth, brother. It's uh, it's not awesome. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay, so uh, I think that'll wrap up this episode. So uh, we'll talk about, uh, uh, Aaron already mentioned our forums there at elementop.com. You can find uh, other shows in the Element OP Empire. Uh, uh, (laughs) Most of them are uh, tech-related or uh, education-related. 60%. Yeah, not all of them. Uh, That's still most, Aaron. Uh, (laughs) I'm not arguing the fact. I'm just clarifying (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but we do have Aaron is the host of a show called One Meal, One Workout. Give us a 20-second uh, uh, summation of what that show is, Aaron. One Meal, One Workout is a show to encourage, educate, and uh, and there's another E word. Encourage, educate. Uh, uh, don't give me, give me 10 more seconds. Encourage, entertain. Entertain people um, and help them eat better, be more fit, and live longer, healthier, happier lives. And it's entertaining and fun. Well, he said that was that other E. That was the E I couldn't find. That's the one because he forgot how entertaining it is. Uh, uh-uh. He and I are both do that. And there's another uh, third guest uh, named Don Sullivan who uh, contributes occasionally. <laughs> um, and uh, anyway, also we have a, a new show uh, that's a couple weeks old by the time this comes out called The Hot Route for all your football needs uh, out there. That's a, a pretty good one. We have the Taiwan Tech, which was our flagship show. The Taiwan Teacher, which is a spinoff on that. Uh, and, of course, this show, Everyday Linux. Uh, so you can also go there to the forums, as you mentioned. If you want to email us, you can do that, uh, edl at elementop.com. But really, the forum is probably the best way to do it because then everybody uh, can uh, can benefits from the, uh, the conversation. Uh, or if you want to call us, leave us a voicemail. There's a button right there on the, the left-hand, the right-hand side of the page that says uh, call us or or something like that, and you enter your phone number, and Google Voice calls you. So it's really a misnomer. It says call us, but really they call you. And then you leave us a voicemail. And uh, as uh, if you want to join us live, and I'm not really sure why you would, but if you do, uh, we uh, we stream live every other Sunday starting at 7 p.m. Central Time. Uh, you can check our... Um, 
the button there on the website at the top that says schedule, see when all of our shows record live and when all of them um, uh, will be released. So you can uh, always know what you're uh, in for. The, all of our shows do <laughs> broadcast live on Ustream. We have a, an Elvin OP channel. And so whatever show is, is on at the time will be there. And then there we it just kind of randomly plays through past shows uh, if we're not on the air. So check that out at uh, Ustream. Um, you know, or again, at the button there on our homepage where it says uh, uh, live stream, even though it's a little bit of a misleading thing because we're not always live. Sometimes live stream. Right. Stream. Video stream. Um, okay, anything else, guys, before we say goodnight? I think that covers it. Okay. Well, thanks Have for being with evening. us, as always. And so that ends this episode of Everyday Day.